All right. Well, let's start with this. Let me ask you a question. How many who here knows who this guy is? Anybody know who this guy is? You know who he is? You're not allowed to answer from over there. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a hint. Let me give you a hint. This guy has revolutionized our way of life. He has revolutionized our way of life. Nobody knows who he is, huh? I'll give you a hint. When you don't know the answer for something and you say, I need the answer for something, what you don't say is, hey, search the internet for it. What you say is, let's Google it, Google it right? This is Larry Page. He's one of the founders of Google. He's one of the founders of Google. Larry founded Google with his, uh, a buddy of his, Sergey Brin from Stanford University, okay? And so they were working on a research project, and uh, they developed a search engine that analyzed the connections between different websites. That's what it did. It analyzed those connections between different web pages. And they named it Backrub. Now, can you imagine if today, whenever we wanted to know something, we were like, hey, Backrub it, you know? I'd be like, no, we ain't Backrubbing nothing. I don't think so, right? Uh, back off, man. One of his famous quotes, though, Larry Page, when he's speaking, one of his famous quotes is this, always deliver more than expected. Always deliver more than expected. Now, Larry has delivered way more than expected. Would you agree with that? Google is arguably uh, one of the greatest inventions in the history of information technology, right? It's changed everything. It's transformed the way we consume information. It's Basically synonymous with any kind of search at this point, right? And today, Google as a company does way more than search, right? Even they have uh, done way more. So YouTube is the world's largest video sharing site. My good friend Ian tells me that YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet. Look at him uh, confirming that. Uh, if I'm wrong on that, you're going to want to email Ian at fbclodi.org. <laughs> Um, but if you don't know what you're looking, you know how to do something specifically, you go to YouTube and you need to see how it's done and you YouTube it, basically, you know? So you look on YouTube. Um, Gmail is the largest internet-based uh, email provider anywhere. Nest does home automation. I don't know if you've ever seen Nest. Like, from my phone right now, if I wanted to, I could turn the heat up on my kids to 90 degrees, and they wouldn't know what is going on at their house, right? Um, but I can do that right from my phone here. Um, but they do smart devices. They do Wi-Fi. They do... Um, I, my clock in my room, my wife will verify every night before I go to bed, what I say is, hey, Google, set my alarm for 6.30 a.m., and Google goes, alarm set for 6.30. Now, some of you are impressed that I get up at 6.30 in the morning. And some of you are like, hey, by 6.30, I've already been up and run six miles and whatever. And my response to that is, well, goody for you, okay? Um, Tiff's been up since 4.30. So, yeah, yeah, and I know, I got gotcha. you. She's not happy about it, but she's been up since then. Um, and then one other thing is, about half of the cell phones in America right now are running Google. They are running the Android operating system. And if you want to know about it, all you got to do is ask Steve Jordan. He will tell you all about how great it is, right? So, hey, Siri, text message Steve Jordan, whatever. Okay. Um, so Larry delivered more, right? He's delivered way more than you would have expected out of some guy. And Google has delivered way more than you might have expected out of a company. 
Today, as we jump back into the book of Romans, you've got your notes there, we're going to see how Jesus delivered more, and he delivered much more than, uh, than, than we could have ever imagined. Now, Glenn left off in verse 5 of chapter 5, and I'm going to pick up with some of the most powerful verses in the book of Romans. So if you got your Bible, your notes, open them up there, and uh, Siri's still listening to me. Here we go. We're going to jump into uh, chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. It says, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us, who? Sinners, right? Now, most people would be willing, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still, what? We're still sinners. Paul has been making this convincing argument. He's been convincing us for five chapters um, and, and it, we have salvation through Jesus Christ. We are made right with Jesus Christ by faith in him. And we're made right with God. It's while we were utterly helpless, while we were still sinners, we had nothing to offer God, right? And, but God sent Jesus anyway to save us from death and hell. Now, salvation is huge. Can we agree on salvation being huge? But get this, there's more. There's much more And so the very first point in your outline there is much more than salvation. There's much more than salvation. Now, this is a little confession time. Glenn and I have a difference of preferences on Bible translations, right? I'm a church planter and at heart, and so I like the New Living Translation. It's current, it's easy to read, it just makes sense. So I'm a little bit like mainstream hip-hop. You know what I'm talking about? Like, too legit, too legit to quit, right? Okay, Glenn, on the other hand, is old school. And I don't mean that bad. I mean old school with a K, like cool old school. He's like a, like a smooth R&B song from the 1990s. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like boys to men. To the end of the road, right? That, that's Glenn. Now... Glenn likes the New International Version, and hey, there is nothing wrong with the New International Version, but I have been trying to convert Glenn to the New Living Translation, and this last week when he was up there preaching, he said in the middle of his sermon, I really like the way the New Living Translation says this, and he began to say, and I leaned over to Nicole, my wife, and I said, I'm converting him. So imagine my horror. When I discovered this week that the passage I was preaching, I just liked the way the New International Version repeated this phrase again and again and again. So here I am using the New International Version. You win again, Glenn. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Let's jump into it. Since we have now been justified by his blood, it says, how much more? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, it says, how much more? How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be what? Saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It says, how much more? How much more? How much more? there is to this Christian life than salvation. Uh, I mean, salvation is huge. It's eternity altering for people, right? But salvation is just the beginning, Glenn started to tell us last week, right? It's just the beginning. We are saved through Jesus's death. But then it says in that passage, how much more are we saved through his life? Now, 
Here's the point. Jesus gave his life for me so he could live through me. Jesus, Jesus gave his life for me so that he could live through me. In Galatians 2, uh, verse 20, it says this. Again, in the New Living Translation. Uh, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen, I've heard people say, hey, hey man, I went to church, I prayed the prayer, I raised my hand, I, I got the t-shirt, but so what? Nothing changed, right? Uh, nothing is really that different for me. Um, can I tell you something? If that's true, you're doing it wrong. Like, like you're, you're doing it wrong. I don't know how else to tell you that, but Jesus' death saves you, but Jesus' life changes you. Jesus' death got you into the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus' life is supposed to get the kingdom of heaven into you. Listen, this really isn't about being good enough. It's about letting God be good in you and through you out to the world around us. Now, when you place your faith in Jesus and you are made right with God, you have this promise of heaven. And, but, but the Bible also promises that when you do that, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God himself, the Spirit of Jesus comes to live within you and you have Christ's own Spirit in you. Now, if you're struggling with a dead faith right now, maybe your faith is just feeling dead at this moment, you need to ask Jesus to bring it back to life. I think the hard part is throughout this pandemic, it's felt like we've let the virus or the lockdowns or something steal from us, like it's stolen from us our, our joy and our passion and our energy. And for some, it's even stolen your faith. And you need your faith to come back to life. Listen, this faith is not about sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back and singing Kumbaya. I don't know why Kumbaya is always the song we sing in that moment, but, but, but we express this new life that we've been given in Christ here and now, right? I mean, your joy should be present now. Your love for God should be evident now. The, the love for other people that God has given us, we should see it right now. So that's what it means when it's so much more than salvation. Now, Paul is going to turn the corner at this point, and he's going to use this illustration that he's going to talk about. And so I want you to see this, it's because it, this point is it's much more than one sinful act. It's really much more than one sinful act. So Romans 5, we're continuing back in the New Living Translation because I'm a creature of habit. Here we go. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to who? Everyone. everyone. And it, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone what? Died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how Paul used the illustration of Abraham from the Old Testament, and this time he's going to go even further back than Abraham. He's going all the way back to Adam, right? And so Adam was created by God. He walked with God. He talked with God. And if you remember, Adam only had one rule. Wouldn't you like to live in a world with only one rule? He only had one rule. 
In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to what? Die, right? Now, we know the story. Most people know the story. If you don't know the story, let me tell you the story. The serpent comes to Eve, right? It's a representation of the evil one. And he says, did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? And Eve says, yeah, if we eat from it, we'll surely die. And he says, come on, you won't die. If you eat from that tree, you'll be just like God. And, and, and it says she was convinced and it looked good. And so she took the fruit and ate it. And then she offered it to Adam and he what? He ate it too, right? Now, this is a short little side note for everyone else. It is hard to say no to your wife when she is naked. I'm just saying. <laughs> Ladies, that's for you. Do with it as you will. Okay. The point Poland's making here, though, is this. Adam messed it up for everyone. Adam messed it up for everyone. Um, I know this is maybe weird. But how many people here are Star Wars fans? Know the Star, have seen the Star Wars movie? <gasps> oh, my goodness. Look at the, you, you, the young folks over there. Don't know. Um, if you don't know, this, the, the Star Wars movies has sometimes been called the Tale of Two Skywalkers. The Tale of Two Skywalkers. The first Skywalker, Anakin, gave in to the temptation, right? And he went to the dark side. And because he went to the dark side, he brought death and destruction and chaos into the entire galaxy. The second Skywalker, Luke, um, he was facing the same temptation as Anakin, but he was faithful and obedient to the Jedi way. Uh, right? That's, that's what he did. So you see that. And because of that, he was able to reverse the curse. And uh, he came, the curse that came from the disobedience of the first Skywalker, and he was even able to redeem the first Skywalker, the second Skywalker was. George Lucas, who wrote the, the, the screenplays and, and did the films, said the central theme of episodes four through six, which started back in 1977, yeah, the middle three, uh, it's complicated. Uh, the, re- it, the theme of it was the redemption of Anakin. It was the redemption of Anakin. Uh, the first Skywalker by Luke, the second Skywalker. You could say that the entire storyline of the Bible is about the redemption of the first Adam by the second Adam, Jesus. That's what it's about. Um, and that's what's happening in the last part of Romans chapter 5 here as we jump into this, this thing that Paul is doing. Adam, the first human, chose to defy God. And he did what he shouldn't have done. He rejected his command and he ate from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that choice, death descended on all of us, right? Like, like everyone. It descended on all of us. Even though we weren't even there, Right? Um, Adam's choice is our choice, and this is called original sin. Now, people struggle with this doctrine of original sin, right? But I want you to notice how verse 12 ends there in your passage. It says, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to who? Everyone. For everyone sinned. In other words, we all sinned in him. Does that make sense? Now, I know what you might be saying. Wait, wait, wait. That's not fair. How can I be held responsible for something I didn't do? I mean, this is the beginning of all sin. All sin. Every death. Every disease. Every murder. Every rape. Every war. And, and you think to yourself, well, I wasn't there. I didn't make that choice. Why do I got to deal with this stuff, right? Well, here's the point. God knows you. And God knows me. And God knew Adam. And he knew 
that the way Adam acted is the way all of us would have reacted in this situation. Now, somebody out there saying, uh-uh, not me. You really think you would have been different? I mean, do you really think you would have been different? I wouldn't have done that, right? I would have slapped the fruit out of Eve's hand, and I would have said, how dare you, woman, <laughs> right? I am not eating that apple. I'm going for the peach on the good tree. Like, that, that, that is not how it would be. Everyone knows this. If you really boil it down, we all know this. I'll tell you what, every parent knows this. Can I get an amen out of the parents in the room, right? No one ever had to teach your toddler to be selfish. No. No one ever had to send your kid to sin camp. Let me train you on this, right? They didn't have to go to a selfishness seminar. They, They are born with that stuff. One day they wake up, and just like the seagulls in Finding Nemo, they go, mine, 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 right? I got this thing off the internet, the property laws of a toddler. This is the proof of original sin, the property laws of a toddler. Here it is. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine, right? If I had it a little while ago, then it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way, okay? Uh, If I'm doing or building something, all of the parts are mine, right? That's the way it is. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. Um, If I saw it first, it's mine. And if you are playing with something and you put it down, then it automatically becomes mine. And then my favorite is if it's broken, it's yours. You can have it then, you know. Um, Listen, nobody has to teach a two-year-old the word no. Like, it's built in. Instinctively, they know that word. And, And parents, God bless you, parents. If you're parents of a child younger than the age of two... That sweet little innocent infant, this is coming for you. Can I just tell you, that sweet little innocent infant baby that you love and is so, and they coo and they smile and they, they are going to become evil. I don't know what to tell you, but it's the perfect illustration of sin nature and this, in, but it's this internal battle that's going on inside of all of us. Am I right? I mean, that's what it is. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. Original sin is the only doctrine that is empirically verifiable. (laughs) We just see it everywhere, right? In fact, and this is a little bit more serious, we are so used to sin and death, we are numb to it. Let me give you an example. It's been a little over a week since a gunman killed eight people at three different spas in the Atlanta area. Come on, we're talking about a spa. These are ladies getting their hair and nails done. There's no joke here. How evil is it to walk into that environment and start shooting people? Get this. We aren't even talking about that anymore. You want to know why? Because on Monday of this week, a guy walks into a grocery store, a grocery store, and he unloads and kills 10 people, including the officer who was responding to the call. Um, And the hard part is, is we read the headline... And we say, oh, no, not again, right? That's what we say. But honestly, if we're really honest, we go back to our lives. We go back to our lives. Let me ask you, how different would it be if that grocery store was on Lodi Avenue? How would we feel differently about it if it was right here in our community, right? 
We can talk about gun control. We can talk about mental health issues. But the truth of the matter is, is we have an evil problem in our world. We have a sin problem in our world. And, and, and we have a death problem in our world that we have always had. And we always will. Adam messed it up for all of us, right? And that would be very, very bad news, except, get this, Adam's one sinful act, he had this one sinful act that all of sin entered in the world is followed by Jesus, who has this one act of sacrifice on the cross. And get this, because even that would be much more than one act of grace. It's going to be much more than one act of grace. I'm going to finish this passage here, the last six verses, Romans 5, starting in verse 15, it says this. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater, in the NIV it says, how much more, how much more is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater, in the NIV, Glenn, it says, how much more, how much more is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness? For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Get this. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that people, all people, could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more what? Abundant. Just as... Just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? Now, so Paul, in his uh, academic ADD, Dr. Seuss style, right, does this one, uh, this two Adam thing. I call it one Adam, two Adam, red Adam, blue Adam. I do not like Adam. I do not like him, Sam I am, right? He, he kind of does this to death a little bit. Um, but this first Adam brought death to the whole human race. And the second Adam, Jesus, in the same way, through one act, gives us all the opportunity to be saved. And Paul makes this lengthy comparison between the two Adams, but if one, the point is if one act of sin can mess it up for all of us, then one act of grace can make us all right with God. So the point is Jesus fixed it for everyone. Adam messed it up and Jesus fixed it for everyone. Jesus fixed our sin problem once and for all through the cross and the resurrection. But let me point you back to verse 18 where it says this. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and what is it? New life for everyone. New life for everyone. New life. Again, it's so much more than salvation. There's a new life. Right here, right now, we get this new life. Some people treat their faith 
like fire insurance, right? I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I won't burn, right? But they live their life like everyone else who is going to hell. And then they wonder, why am I so discouraged? Why don't I have any hope? Why don't I have any joy? Which leads me to... So what, Steve? How do we make some sense of this and hopefully change something in our lives? Well, let me, let me give you this. In John 10.10, 10, it says this. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have life more, what? Abundantly. That's not NIV, NLT, I got everyone covered today. The thief cometh not. I got King James for you. I got you. If NLT is hip hop and NIV is smooth R&B, King James is big band. You know what I'm talking about here? Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing. I use that verse because I love that word abundantly. I love the word abundant because it's more than just life. It's abundant life. It's more than just the life that we have here. It's this abundant life. And so the question is, Steve, how do we do that? How do, how do we get to live this abundant life that Jesus talked about? Well, in the book of John, Jesus explains it. And he, like he always does, he uses an illustration, and he's going he's to sell it like a vineyard. Now, we're in Lodi. If we can't get behind this illustration, I don't know who can. Like, we got to stick with it. Listen to what it says here in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 11. It says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. This is Jesus talking. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Can't do anything. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Ten times in that passage, he says, remain, 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 remain. Oh, yeah, and if I haven't mentioned it, remain, right? Remain in my words. Remain in my love. Remain in me, and you will produce fruit. Remain in me, and you will be filled with joy. Is it your joy? No. He says, it's my joy. You'll be filled with my joy, and then when you're filled with my joy, your joy will overflow, right? Through me, you apart from me, you can't do anything. So the question is, why are we trying so hard? You know, I've been racking my brain. What does this look like practically for you as you try to apply this? Some have been disconnected from the vine during this time. And your faith is feeling like really dead right now. Maybe you're disconnected from God's word. And you need to get a reading plan on version. One of the reasons I love the version Bible app is, you want to know why? Because I always, always have my Bible with me. 
You can read it anywhere, anytime. You got downtime, you know. Get a new reading plan on the Bible app on version, and then share it with somebody so that it shares when you've read their, yours and they've read theirs and you get a reminder to do that. You need to get reconnected to God's word, right? Maybe you're disconnected from God in prayer. Um, maybe you can't even remember the last time you actually talked to God. I've started this new practice. Um, I get up every morning and I walk for at least 30 minutes out in the orchard where I live. And I used to listen to music or podcasts while I would go out and do this, but now I refuse to put my earbuds in. And instead, I spend that time talking to God. And, And the question is, what are you doing to remain in conversation with God? What does that look like for you? And then this one is maybe more applicable to some people as this, is maybe you're just disconnected from the body of Christ, right? That, that's your local church family that God has given you. And maybe you started watching online because of the pandemic, but then you got comfortable and maybe you started planning some other things on Sunday. I mean, I mean, I can't go to church, right? I mean, I can't go. So maybe you started planning family things, and you think, well, but, but family things are important. I'm, I'm not denying that. But let me tell you something. It's time to come back and get reconnected to your family, God's family, God's body, where it's described as. It's time to reconnect. Honestly, every time I come here, whether it's in the living room or on a Sunday morning, and I'm connected to God's people that are part of God's body and a part of my church family, I feel connected back to God, Right? And let me tell you something, next week is Easter, and it is a perfect time to come back. Come back on Easter. Uh, We would invite you to come back, um, and and after Easter, we're starting a new series called Reconnect, like this is how you reconnect, and we want you to reconnect right after Easter. Listen, if you don't hear anything else, hear this, remain, 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 remain in me. Let me pray for us. Father God, um, Man, I am so glad that you saved me. I am so glad that you made me right with my heavenly Father. And and Jesus, you did that through your death and resurrection. But God, I I am so glad that there's so much more to this life because of that. That I get to live now with this new life. That I get to live now with your spirit inside of me. That I get to live now with your joy overflowing in me rather than me trying to manufacture my own joy. God, help us to live much more beyond our salvation, God. I'm so thankful that you gave us the opportunity to cross the line of faith, but help us to live this life, this abundant life. Help us to remain in you. And because we're in you, we see your love expressed. God, we see your joy and your peace and your grace extended out to those around us. God, let us remain in you and experience new life because of your life. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.